This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Broadcast Podcast. This week we are bringing you the first session in the most recent Catalyst Hub from down in Worcester and we were lucky enough to have Terry Virgo with us for the 24 hours and in this first session he speaks on leadership and goes through two Corinthians and speaking about Paul's leadership and it's really it's an amazing amazing talk so enjoy it. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Uh, it's a real joy to particularly serve God's servants. I find it a great privilege and blessing. And I hope I can be a blessing to you in these couple of days that we're together, as I'm sure you will be to me as I hear testimony and share together. Uh, so thanks for the invitation. Thanks for having me here. I'm going to speak to you in this opening session from 2 Corinthians. Okay, 2 Corinthians. And uh, a few verses we'll pick up in chapter 2 and then into chapter 3 okay? I think it's one of those passages where Paul kind of takes uh, the curtain aside and we kind of sit into his heart into his experience as a leader which I find encouraging, stimulating um, it's not everywhere that uh, uh, we see that we see Paul teaching people great great truths uh, but sometimes he lets us see what he's going through and I think that can be ever so helpful to us leadership is a challenging thing uh, demanding and uh, I hear that uh, through the Covid season uh, in the USA hundreds of pastors have given it up they've said enough I've, uh, I give up this thing and we've been through a buffeting season it's been very challenging uh, numbers, people we thought I thought they were with us and they've gone and all kinds of strange experiences have been taking place and we, we serve God against an increasingly hostile culture uh, whereas Christianity people used to know well the Christians are the good people we're not really as good as they are uh, these churchgoers they take it seriously uh, we know that you know, they're essentially okay but you know, we're not like them but then it moved to well I don't know if I believe that now it's moved to hey the Christians are the bad people they're intolerant uh, they won't accept these kind of marriages we're keen on and uh, they won't let us choose our gender and uh, hey they're the weird people they're the, and gradually uh, being a Christian leader is beginning to be a time a place of uh, yeah difficulty and challenge and an Anglican guy said to me recently he said when the Church of England caves in on same-sex marriage, which it will, he said, you do realise, don't you, the guns will come on you uh, the moment you live under the shadow of the Church of England and uh, uh, the battle rages there. But when, when they cave in, and as an Anglican, he said, as it will, uh, he said, then you will become this strange cult that won't accept what all the culture is saying. Uh, you'll be able to say goodbye to your tax uh, benefits and you will be ostracized. I thought, hmm, sounds interesting. And, uh, and being a leader is going to be probably tougher than it has been uh, because I think we will be more and more out of step. We already are with the culture, but that may become more and more evident. And, uh, you know, the church was born in such days. See? Nero was running Europe, and uh, that's where the church got born against a hostile background, a, a, a fierce paganism and the church grew and grew and grew and grew and the Holy Spirit was manifestly present and you couldn't just have comfortable church going uh, you, if you're in this, you're marked and I think maybe God's going to do that again for us that believers are more marked and the presence of God is more necessary uh, that, that we're not just giving our, touching our hat to being charismatic which means we sing different songs to other people know that there's a, a real supernatural dimension among us that, that makes us different because I don't think we'll win the battle with simply words uh, we're going to win the battle like they did in the early church I think our gospel came to you not in word only but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction and seeing what manner of men we prove to be among you. I think the church is coming into some exciting days but it may be against the backdrop of quite a lot of difficulty and it'll be challenging uh, to be a leader and I think maybe Covid 
and some of the experience of not, not, not all churches but many churches of people who thought, I thought they were with us and they've gone uh, it's a kind of a wake up call to really build disciples and community where people feel they belong and I know some of your churches have said hey that's exactly what we are experiencing people belong, they know they're with us which is great but you know I travel around quite a bit and with a lot of people say well we lost people, we thought they were with us and they're not and I think it's a kind of a stimulus to wake up and uh, yeah, in that sort of context, we're called to lead. I think it's a very exciting time. But it's a time we're going to need the presence and power of God in a way that takes it out of arguing about words, where there's more obvious manifestation of the presence of God. And for our kids, who are getting a lot of challenges in school, I say our kids for me, my grandkids, uh, you know, teenage grandkids ask you big questions these days because they're facing huge challenges in their schoolroom to say I'm a Christian wow, are you out of step and uh, it's in their faces and if they don't know the living God uh, the culture will disciple our kids if they really don't know God big time the culture will win over because it's so all prevailing at the moment and so distorted so leadership's a, a big deal and we need God's help in it. So Paul lived in that kind of culture. Hostility, difficulty, but the church grew and grew and grew. And uh, it's so thrilling to hear uh, that in, I just heard this, uh, this conversation with a guy called Ranjit. He's one of our pastors in India, I've known for many decades. And then Vinu talking about how tough it is. And then Vinu sent me a video recently, or at least a, a, a tweet that went on forever, um, which was about, uh, from, I had the picture on my phone of a secular magazine, like Time magazine in India, front page, how many people are becoming Christians? A uh, picture of a pastor who is from a Sikh background, and it's talking about hundreds and thousands in the Punjab coming to Christ. And it's a 16-page article. It just goes on and on through this, with photographs and big crowds of Christians and how the God is sweeping through. But it says it's a growth of charismatic Pentecostal Christianity full of signs and wonders and miracles sweeping through northern, northern India against the backdrop of real hostility. So that encourages me to believe God wants to work God, and God is available in terms of power uh, but leadership yeah, it's tough, alright? So Paul allows us to see, as it were, through the curtain into his heart of what he's experiencing. It's a little difficult to interrupt Paul when he's uh, talking, but we'll just interrupt him at verse 12 of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. When I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, but taking leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, an aroma of death, from death to death. To another, an aroma of life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we're not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Do we need some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifest that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Father, we just ask you, please, let your Spirit rest upon us. I promise you, you made us promise, Lord, that if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, 
how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask so we ask you right now come, come Holy Spirit rest upon us let us have these days showing with you Lord please come and be our teacher please come and reveal Christ to us come catch our attention and focus it and do us good we pray Father we do ask it in Jesus name Amen Amen. So Paul is writing against the context of hardship and difficulty. Leadership's tough anywhere. I guess if you're a headmaster or headmistress in a school, it's tough. If you're the CEO of a business, it's tough. Leadership is inevitably tough. It picks up more challenges that come with the job. And I think with Christian leadership, to be honest, even more so. Because it's conflict. And uh, that uh, Paul talks about the difficulties that he went through. The sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, he says in chapter 1 and verse 5. And, and he's saying really that leadership in the church is against the backdrop of massive global conflict. We are leading in the church of God, which is in hostility and opposition to satanic forces. It's not just leadership is tough, it is that there is a battle going on and that when you become a Christian you pick up enemies, when you become a leader you pick up if you like more enemies, that's part of the deal and Paul says we despaired even of life in verse 8, that's a, a real challenge that he faced, now for him it's literal, he despaired of life, sometimes for us I think it can be emotional it can be, am I able to do this? Can I, can I do the thing God's called me to do? And as I said, hundreds of pastors in the USA have given up. They've said, I can't do this. And so that big question begins to come in our hearts. Am I sufficient to do this? I had the sentence of death in ourselves. And as I say, it's more kind of emotional for us. I know when I first left secular work, um, I, I started doing door-to-door -door evangelism. And I think, I think I was probably the worst door-to-door -door evangelist there ever was on the planet. And uh, I used to, I mean the Jehovah's Witnesses had been there before us. The Mormons had built a building on this housing estate I was working in. And I'm like the third person uh, to knock their door. And I, it was tough. And uh, you know the doors were closed, they didn't want to know you. And that was my life for a couple of years, door knocking. And uh, I, I really hit such a low as I thought, I can't do this, I'm not making any impact. And I, I'm not like Paul, who could have been in danger of losing his life. It was that kind of, I can't do this. Uh, and I was kind of despairing of life. Because I thought, this is useless, I've given up my job for this, and it's killing me. And uh, it was actually a, a very profound experience in that it eroded any self-confidence that I might have had. Because I was useless at it, and I knew it. And uh, so I think we go through times like this, we think, I don't know if I can do this. I had a pastor in my home earlier this year, and he was weeping and saying just that really. I, I can't do this. Uh, I, you know, I, thought, I thought I was called to it uh, and there come such moments where we begin to challenge ourselves I'm not sure I'm able to do this and I think Paul in this passage wants to lead us through that and out uh, the other side it's a, a very very challenging set, uh, set of scriptures here so one of the things that, that got to him well, if we read in this uh, epistle, I've just finished marking my way through Second Corinthians and uh, my own devotional reading. And uh, here you get some of the things that he faced and I think we face at some degree. He says, first of all, in verse 17 of chapter 1, I wasn't vacillating when I intended to come to you. In other words, Paul was in trouble with the Corinthians because they thought he didn't fulfill their expectations they thought he was going to do such and such and he didn't one of the challenges I think for a leader is if you're not careful being shaped by what people expect of you and being forced into something that you don't quite feel comfortable with but you're against this backdrop 
I ought to do it because what will they think if I don't? And that can really tie you in knots if you don't get through it. And uh, if we, we, we can always feel I've got to dance to the tune that is being brought to me, if you're not careful. I've got to perform in a way that I'm not sure I can. But I, 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 I know when I was a young pastor, first started, it was almost like the phone was somehow attached to my body when my wife had made the meal and when just to sit down and give thanks for this meal and there's the phone and uh, oh it's the phone so oh okay so dad uh, leaves the family to go and answer the phone because really the phone's more important to him than the family is and that kind of pressure to well I better be available and, and I think it takes a bit of courage as uh, early in your pastoral ministry to say no I'm not available at these times and no I won't come uh, and so that can sound very non-pastoral but you know if you want to keep your marriage and you want to keep your family you have to make some decisions sometimes that say no that, I'm not available now and, and it's important for us to have disciplines that are not just jumping to the tune other people are playing for you but Paul, Paul has to handle that he has to deal with that that uh, it's, a, it's a pressure to him in the, the opening chapter he's having to kind of say look, look I did mean to come I couldn't come and living with that tension but I think for all of us you know I think of the story of Lazarus and it says that Lazarus grew sick and uh, you know they said if only Jesus was here uh, and he wasn't there and, uh, and then they said well, let's get a message to him and so someone gets the message to Jesus and they come back and say, it's alright, he knows, he knows about it. And then Mary and Martha watch Lazarus get weaker and weaker and weaker and then he's gone. And, uh, and then Jesus turns up. And you get the same little speech from Mary as you do from Martha coming to Jesus, if only you'd been here. If only you'd been here. But actually Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And he said, look, if you keep believing, you're going to see the glory of God. And actually, Jesus was constantly where the Father wanted him to be. And he said, this is my meat, to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. You know, one time he's talking to the woman at the Samaria, and, and the, the disciples had gone to buy food, come and say, what are you doing? Uh, have you eaten? He said, no, this is my meat. I, I want to do what the Father wants me to do and for him that meant actually he's not going to turn up when Mary and Martha thought he should turn up and the important thing for us is to be where does God want us to be what does God want us to be doing and to somehow handle it's one of the things that first comes out in this passage that hey are you living up to our expectation and that can invade our life and leadership um, am I meeting their needs uh, do they seem to be happy with the way I'm leading them that's a challenge and it can be a challenge even for wives sometimes when it may be the criticism does come back uh, and I think sometimes a wife wants to say hey you don't know how hard he works and sometimes they want to step in and kind of take the battle on because well it's just not fair and uh, you can feel it more intensely sometimes to want to step into the battle and say hey no no, no that's not fair but we've got to learn to handle that We've got to learn to cope with that sense of is my performance okay? Am I satisfying people's needs? Am I doing what they expect me to do? We've just got to be very, very careful of it. I remember people who said to me, you want to read that book by Jamie Buckingham called Coping with Criticism? And I personally thought, I don't need to read that. We're handling a lot of cost. In the early days, we had so much criticism. I thought, I'm handling all this. It's okay. And then eventually I got to read it. And wow, it was very helpful. <laughs> because I realized I could handle criticism from people out there who hardly knew us, which we had to handle quite a bit in the early days. But criticism from people close is quite hard to bear. And uh, learning to cope with that is quite a challenge. And Paul, Paul knew that with the Corinthians. It's one of the challenges he faced. So handling that, we need to find God's help to handle it. Second one that comes out from the passage is he says, not the verse 24 of chapter 1, not that we lord it over your faith 
the handling of spiritual authority is a very delicate thing we don't lord it over your faith how does spiritual authority work? certainly elsewhere it says we're partners together with you for your joy so dominant leadership is a killer and we know that we've seen sometimes quite high profile people have suddenly gone they've kind of been dismissed because that they were getting too heavy handed people couldn't handle it anymore but I remember it's funny I say names these days and people look blankly but I remember John Wimber and uh, John Wimber was a phenomenal servant of God really a guy called Paul Cain who was an extraordinary prophet came to see him and uh, he, he didn't know him but Paul Cain was a, a remarkable prophet uh, just a personal testimony I was in a meeting in Kansas City Mike Bickle's church 2,000 people there and Paul Cain prophesied for about half an hour naming people and he, he, he knew me because I was a speaker but he didn't know my wife or kids and at one point in the middle of giving prophecies to people he said would Terry and Wendy Virgo stand and we were way back in this big crowd a couple of thousand and then he prophesied and named all of my five kids I mean he didn't know I had kids five named Benjamin, he told her, he said, Anna has a South African in her heart. That's sweet. Well, she's married now, lives in Cape Town, you know. It was phenomenal. Came to Simon, who was very backslidden at the time. Simon, Simon, Satan's desired to have you. He might sift you as wheat. He's got a Mick Jagger spirit, he said. Ben Simon was very much into rock and roll. He'd just been to a thing called the Voodoo Lounge where the Rolling Stones had put on. And I mean, he said, what? Incredible stuff, this guy. And he went through all five of these. Does that mean anything to you? You think, ah. <laughs> and he, he, wrote to John, he wrote to John Wimbo and said, God sent me to you. Um, I know you don't know me, but uh, if you give me a date, I'll come. And the day I come, there will be an earth tremor in Los Angeles. You choose the day, there will be an earth tremor. And he did. He chose the day, he arrived, there was an earth tremor. Wow. And he said, this is the word I have for you. God says, uh, you're, you're like Eli, you're not disciplining your sons. And so, I mean, it was, and he didn't mean he's human. He meant some of the leaders he was raising up. And there was quite a bit of a mess at that time. And, and handling spiritual authority of not being dominant and crushing people but on the other hand not letting things go is hard, hard Handle, how do you get it right? Uh, and Paul says I have authority not to tear down but to build up but he says that towards the end of Corinthians he said if I come to you shall I come with a rod? that is kind of foreign to our language I don't know anyone in the New Frontiers world who writes like that. I'm coming to your church, do you want me to come with a rod? <laughs> what are you talking about? That's biblical language. You know, are you going to put up with the sin which apparently was fairly rampant in the Corinthian church? And, and he's saying, I'll come with authority. God's given me authority as an apostle to speak into this situation. And I think handling authority is huge either being far too outrageously heavy-handed or far too, well, I don't say anything getting it right is, is extremely challenging and I, and I think we have to learn from God in it Paul says to the Thessalonians, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you? you became imitators of us so his life was on display, he wasn't you know, sometimes you go to speak at a conference I, I, I hate it, but I've been in conference where the speakers are all in the green room and then they say, well the worship, you're on now I think, what do you mean? I mean, I'm going to be in the worship <laughs> oh no, the speakers don't bother with the worship they sit in the green room then that's your turn, I hate that I went into the meeting, I thought I'm going to be in the worship thank you, but there, there is a we don't know the speakers they kind of come in and then they go out <laughs> and uh, Paul said now you know what manner of men we proved to be among you we were accessible known it was part of his message our gospel came to you not in word only but in power in the Holy Spirit and you know what kind of life we lived among you 
you became imitators of us which is seen as good imitation in the Bible is always regarded as positive you won't find anything in the New Testament that despises imitation imitation is good because they're worth imitating we became imitators of God and then you, you become imitators of us and that's, that's the way we do it so leadership has to be authentic it has to stand the test of inspection it has to be there to be seen but it needs to be authoritative sometimes and we mustn't say well I better not touch that and I think, I think having lived in a period where everything's through the eyes of Mars Hill you know that video series whoa, now all leadership oh there it goes again that heavy handed thing and so we all oh, I won't say anything then that can be in the backdrop of the way we think about leadership we don't say anything because well we get called heavy handed so that is a pressure a pressure of not saying anything pressure of saying too much and Paul is talking about pressures pressures first of all other people's expectations Secondly, pressures of handling spiritual authority. We don't dominate you, he says. But he does have authority toward them. He does lead. And leadership is fundamental to the church of God. You see, he has ascended on high and given gifts to men. men he's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints. Leadership is key. It's not all just bland. There are leaders, anointed, gifted, they're meant to function. And if they don't function as leaders, if we don't lead, because leadership is scary, leadership is suspect now. I, I wrote a book with a copy of Moses. I felt God spoke to me when the, you know, the COVID thing came over. <laughs> you, can't, you don't even go out of the house for months. What do I do? And I felt God said to me, write the book, uh, which I wrote on Moses and um, it's funny I, I wrote it and uh, I sent it in and uh, IVP said um, that chapter um, would you balance out that chapter I can't remember if it was uh, um, the ground opening up and swallowing the sons of Korah or whether it was uh, the chapter about Miriam and, uh, and Aaron but there was a chapter with kind of leadership he said would you balance that chapter out please you know, because this scared um, leadership and I said, no, I won't <laughs> I, said, I said, the chapter is not balanced in the Bible God opened the ground and the sons of Korah went down and Moses was vindicated as God said, I will not balance that chapter because the Bible doesn't balance the chapter but I said, if you look at the whole book it's balanced because, you know, when Joshua came to Moses and says, hey, they're prophesying. You know, hey, defend your position of authority, Moses. Moses says, no, 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 I wish everybody was a prophet. When Jethro came to Moses and says, what are you doing? Everyone's queuing up to wait and speak to you. Why don't you do, you know, point others? And he didn't say, How, do you mind? I am Moses. <laughs> he didn't say, you know, have you seen the face? <laughs> I was speaking to God this morning. Don't you think he would have mentioned it to me? <laughs> he, 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 said, he, he listens to Jethro and does what Jethro said. So if, the, if you, the book is balanced, in other words, the thing is balanced. We mustn't be scared of moments where Moses' authority is challenged and God vindicates it. So leadership, I think leaders must leave and not be scared to lead. But we must be careful, as Paul says, we don't lord it over your faith. It's a challenge. Getting it right is a challenge. Getting the balance right is a challenge. So, first of all, not living to other people's expectations. Second thing I think comes out in the passage is handling spiritual authority. We may want to talk about it. We're having a Q&A session, I think, at the end tomorrow. We might want to tease some of the things out, things out a bit more there. Uh, thirdly experiencing sadness from ones who should bring you joy um, you find that there was gross sin in the church and uh, uh, you know it's, it's, it's hard isn't it I was with some guys last year and uh, 
a, a pastor said, we're a circle of pastors, I meet with some from time to time, and he just said there was a guy who was getting him ready, getting ready for, past, uh, for an el eldership. He said, we were praying together every week. And uh, he said, I just suddenly learned that for the last, I think, year and a half, we've been living in an adulterous situation. He said, I was praying with him every week. I thought it would be the next elder. And I mean, the guy was devastated. He'd only just learned at the time I saw him. And it was like, he said, I spoke to all the other elders. He said, I don't know if I can trust any of you. <laughs> they just, he said, I just told my heart. He said, I was so shocked by it. So shocked by it. And one of our guys that was going to speak at Cyprus at our recent get together, coming from overseas, just bringing a guy through to be an elder and found out, no, no, he's just committed adultery. And oh my word, I mean it is so hard living with things like that. And that, that can undermine you, that can take your joy all away. Gross sin invading the church. It happens. I mean it happened to us years and years ago. Wendy and I came back from a vacation and they took us aside and said, this guy, one of the elders, has just left his wife and gone off. I, I just wept. I thought, I can't bear this. It's, uh, I felt like, and you know, God said, Adam, where are you? He's thinking, look, he's gone, he's gone. And I went to his house, I went to his, his place where he worked. It's like talking to a brick wall, and I thought, I can't believe this brother. And he went off, left his wife, left his kids, lost his job. You think, how did that happen? And, and you know, we live with these kind of pressures. And, and, and ungodliness invades the church of God and it's hard, it's terribly hard when that happens and that's, these are, these are harsh things happening to Paul it was gross sin in the Corinthian church an awful sin and he said even the pagans don't do this uh, that's what he was handling great distress and anguish of heart he's talking about marriage breakdowns when you see that happen you think oh this is so painful so these are things that leaders have to handle. And Paul says, in, in addition to all these things, the profound issues of life and death, the fragrance of life and the fragrance of death, we are not peddlers of God's word. We read that together. And so the awesome seriousness of what we're doing. And then comes out of all this pressure, if you like, this cry, who is sufficient for these things? And so it's great to know that Paul arrived there he went on this journey and came to this question coming from the depths of his heart who is sufficient for these things who is adequate who can do this uh, and then what is most helpful I think is to read his answer not that we are sufficient of ourselves and I think it's it's, it's a, a moment of revelation when we come to the conclusion I cannot do this I cannot do this. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. Now it's not the end of the story, but it's an important thing to think, I can't do this. See, some people go into ministry because they think they could do it. I remember taking a young guy with me when I was out preaching once, I took a young fellow with me. I said, well, what are you going to do with your life? He said, well, I could, I could stay a teacher. I could become a headmaster. I could be a bit like my dad, go into business, um, put money into the church, I know my dad does. Or I could become a pastor. He just kind of said it like that, and I, I kind of trembled. <laughs> I thought I could do this. Now when, when that sort of person comes to the place where you think, I can't do this, it's devastating. Now some of us knew we couldn't do it when we started. It's not quite so devastating then. When, when God chooses the weak things and we're shocked that God ever chose us to do it uh, and that's, you find that you know, in the Bible, Jeremiah says, don't choose me Gideon says, I'm nobody I'm the least of my father's household and my father's household is nothing to write home about so, you know, I know I'm a nobody so, some of us started there but some of us arrived there and it's very painful because we thought we could do it and then you suddenly find, no, I'm not sufficient, I can't do it. And, and when we learn that in the, in the battle, 
that's where people say I'm giving up then and people have given up they said that's it I'm out, I'm out of this business I can't do it and it's a scary moment when you feel I can't do it I've been there a few times when you find you say I can't do this I, I despaired as it were of life I remember once getting off the platform at Stonely. You don't want to die on Stonely platform. <laughs> There's like 20,000 people there. And I, I, I kind of died on the platform. And I, I, I remember going back to my room and kind of, God, I'll never preach again. Why did I ever start doing this? You know, you just, and and, and it's, just, it's not that we trust in ourselves, we trust in God who raises the dead. <laughs> You've been de- raised a few times? I've, I've been raised from the dead a few times. Because you just feel, I can't, I can't do this. And uh, it's, a, it's a very frightening feeling. What if I get into this? I can't do it. What if I start taking on leadership? I sh- people should have warned me. Uh, that's it, I can't. Not, not that I am sufficient of myself. It's scary when you see it. It's scary when it comes to it, when you thought you could do it. I think you see that with Moses again. You know, it says about Moses, he was mighty in word and deed. That's how you first encounter him, really. And uh, he's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's like, he's full of power. Uh, Josephus, the uh, Hebrew historian, says that uh, Moses led an army of Egyptians against the Ethiopians and won a great battle at Memphis. I mean, he's a powerful guy. He's a powerful guy. And uh, he's resourceful. And it says he sees uh, from from the palace, he sees uh, uh, an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew and kills him. I'll sort this out. And then the next day he goes out again and there's two Hebrews arguing. You know, he bangs their heads together. What are you doing, your brothers? Who made you a ruler? Who told you? You know, and it's like, what? You're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? <gasps> it's known. And he runs for it. He thought he could do it. He thought he could do it. I know I was, I was a very backslidden teenager. I used to go to this Baptist church in Brighton. They had a missionary week. Every year, missionary week. And they had missionaries from all over the place. It was a big conference. Hundreds of people come to it. And there's these missionary speakers every night. And then the last night, there's this big preacher to get people to go to the mission field. And I remember there was a guy called Stephen Olford, who was a famous preacher, and he's preaching on the Friday night. And uh, he made this impassioned appeal, who's going to go to be a missionary? And a lot of women went forward. He said, where are the men? And you know, you're kind of trembling. And one of the young people said, did you get called this year? No, not this year. I, 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 I survived another missionary week. But I, I, I said, where are the young men? And I thought, hey, I'm a young man. And yeah, church is a bit quaint and needs changing. I mean, I was totally backslidden, I knew nothing. But then they sang this great song that appeals to the flesh. Just as I am, young, strong and free, to be the best that I can be. That was the song we sang. You know, I thought, yeah, I could do it. And I went forward, just as I am, <laughs> young, strong and free. I think that's what Moses did, and just as I am. Yeah, I'm just strong and free. God said, it's like God said, thank you, see you in 40 years. <laughs> and then when God calls him, he says, I can't, I can't speak, I can't speak. At the beginning, he was mighty in word. Sometimes God has to drain the strength out of us. So that we come to the place where he said, I can't do it because that's not the end of the story because it goes on and says our sufficiency is not of ourselves but our sufficiency is of God who makes us sufficient right so that there is a, a work of God that puts us back on our feet again and it is like a resurrection sometimes because sometimes you think I think I should give this up it's very scary when you reach I think maybe I should get out of this thing and as I say, hundreds have done it in America this last year. Maybe it's past your mind. I think that I could do this. So that's a scary moment. Not that I am sufficient, Paul says. Then he comes through with that our sufficiency is from God who makes us sufficient. And we follow a saviour who was crucified in weakness but raised in power. 
and we come to that place where God raises us again where our confidence maybe we feel gentler and tenderer but we feel no God called me God's hand is upon me God's resources are available and we begin to think again of what it says now our sufficiency is of God who makes us sufficient Amen? He makes us sufficient that's how we come through some of the buffetings that have happened of late he makes us sufficient. So I just want to see a few things of his response to this. In chapter 4, he says in verse 4, Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. It's ever so important that we keep our hearts. Keep your heart. For from your heart flow the issues of life. Keep your heart. So we do not lose heart. We've got to keep our hearts. It's so important. Uh, George Mueller would be one of my great heroes. I remember reading about him as quite a young Christian. I thought, wow, what a man of faith. I expect you've read about George Mueller, who raised up the orphanages in Bristol and in the end was supplying food, care for hundreds of children with no promised provision. I mean, he was a man of breathtaking faith, really. A German guy who lived in England did an amazing ministry. If you've not read any of the George Muller stories, I encourage you to do so. But George Muller said this, My greatest duty each day... It's important. My what is he going to say? My greatest duty each day. You think, well, all these kids to care for, all this money... He said, he said my greatest duty, duty each day is to keep my heart happy in God. That's a terrific insight. That you know, you've got all this to do, but I need my chief duty is to keep my heart happy in God. And that, that's a huge lesson, something I've sought to learn and live with. Keep my heart happy. Because you've got so many so many uh, invasions in your life. You know, so shut the door and be with your father in secret. You think, yeah, I've got the door shut, my brain goes straight through the wall. I always have a piece of paper. So if something comes to mind, just write it down, like, carry on praying. Because things do come to mind when you're a leader. All sorts of stuff. I have to write it down and come back to that. Otherwise, I'm off, I'll go and my brain will go everywhere. He said, no, I want to keep my heart happy in God. And I would encourage you to see that. You know, when you go on an aeroplane and they say, if there's an oxygen problem, the mask will fall down and take the mask. If you have a dependent child, say, with you, take the mask yourself first. You th they know what they're saying. Because you say, no, 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 what about my little Johnny? I care more for Johnny. And I will come second. I'll put it on Johnny first. So you put the mask on Johnny first. You put, Johnny says, don't want it, get off, don't want it, get it, get, no, don't want it. And you're going, Johnny, put the mask on. <laughs> I'm dying here, Johnny. No, no, what? no, put it on with yourself first. Have your own soul happy. See, it seems irresponsible when you're living in the midst of people with a lot of pain for you to have your soul happy. It seems uncaring. But the, the, these, these airline people, they know what they're talking about. Make sure you're breathing. Make sure your soul is happy. And it's, it's very important. So I, 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 will, I, have a, I have a hymn book with me when I'm having my worship time. I will sing, I will, I will draw near to Jesus, worship Him, delight myself in Him. And you know, when you pray, celebrate. People say, when you pray, just first of all confess your sins, clean the deck. It's totally wrong. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't say that. When his apostles asked him, teach us to pray, he didn't say, well first of all confess, didn't say that. He said, when you pray, say, Father hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Then later on through that wonderful prayer, forgive us our trespasses. It's not that we're sin indifferent, but we're not sin related to God. We're father related to God. We're joyful, we're celebrating what a father I have, what kindness he's shown me, what grace he's given me. We keep our souls happy, keep your soul happy. Then out of what you've found in Jesus, you've got something to share. If you, if you allow yourself to be pulled into all the pain that you sometimes encounter, you will not be any use to anybody. You've got to keep your soul happy. 
These are things that Paul says we don't lose hearts. We keep our hearts. Keep our hearts. You know, the Nehemiah word. You know, or Ezra word. You know, Nehemiah, isn't it? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't grieve. You've got to retain that joyful attitude. And then Paul says also in chapter 4, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I think people will follow you if they feel safe with you. Your lifestyle will commend you to other people's conscience. The people don't feel, what's this guy really up to? There's a certain transparency about us. Paul says that's he demonstrated servanthood, he demonstrated submission to scripture. I think it's one of the ways it's good to work through consecutive scripture. It shows that you are de- you're de- you don't just have your favourite subjects that you always talk about, but you are submitted to this authority. And people can see what manner of man you prove to be, the, the godliness that we display, and that commends it to people's conscience. When a, a church feels safe, when they feel, hey, I trust the conscience of the elders here, I, I, they commend themselves to my to my conscience. It's a huge thing. And then in chapter 4, I'm just working through four quickly headlines. Verse 7. Remember we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Sometimes you meet the earthen vessel, plunk. Sometimes you meet the treasure. And then we mustn't be too shocked at ourselves. We've got to find grace. We have this treasure in earthen vessels vessels. We, we recognize, hey, we're not the perfect thing yet. We may come unstuck. We may not do well on a certain occasion. We've got to learn to overcome that. We've got this treasure in earthen vessels. I find that very helpful and comforting. I'm disappointed with myself sometimes. But I've got this treasure in an earthen vessel. I'm not going to let that pull me down right out of the picture. Then, I love it, we've got to learn to butt it says uh, we are afflicted in every way verse 8 of chapter 4 but we're not crushed perplexed but not despairing persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed there's some wonderful buts there you think you know if i'm afflicted in every way you think i'm afflicted from here i'm afflicted from here i'm afflicted from here and from here it's like being in a a telephone booth. I was like, wow, I'm afflicted from every way. And Paul says, but I'm not crushed. It's like, you see, you don't have to take the extra step. Sometimes, I'm getting from here and here and here and here. Hopeless. No, no, I'm not crushed. I, I'm not, I'm not going to allow my mind to take that further step. It's tough on every side, but I'm not crushed. We've got to learn to but. Perplexed. Isn't that encouraging? Paul says, I was perplexed. The great Apostle Paul was perplexed, but not despairing. He's not going to take that next step. Say, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, and so there's a further step which the enemy wants to push us into. It's so difficult, therefore. He says, no, no, I'm there, but I'm not going to go into the next step. I'm not going into despairing. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. It's like those uh, candles you can't blow out. Have you seen them? Uh, get these candles. I remember the first one I ever saw was a friend had his birthday and these candles. And I think it was about 40 or something. It's quite a big number in those days. It's small now. Uh, but uh, It's like, wow, the heat coming off there. And he started blowing them. And his wife had found these candles that come alive again. And he sort of blew half of them out. He's just about to blow the rest and they're all coming alive again. And he's like, I'm struck down, but I'm not knocked out. I come alive again, I come alive again. And so these, these buts, we've got to learn to but. And, and then last of all, chapter 5 verse 9, it says this, we make it our aim to please him. That's our ambition, to please him. That, that will save us from loads of pressure. But you, you cannot make it your aim to please everybody. But if we make it our aim to please him, we will always find there's enough grace. There will always be enough grace to please Him. 
So I believe God wants us to keep our focus there very clear. We make it our aim to please Him. My ambition is to please Him. So I see Paul went through considerable pressures, so much so that who's, who's sufficient? No, our sufficiency is from God who makes us sufficient. Amen? We live by the strength that He supplies, that He will keep on supplying it. Sometimes we feel, hey, have I got what it takes? But no, I follow a Saviour who takes me through death and resurrection again and again and again. That we might glorify Him ultimately. We know we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We're not going to be profoundly shocked. Say, no, Lord, I'm trusting you to take me through. He's called me. He's going to commit himself to me. He will see me through. pray this might be an encouragement uh, as we press forward. We don't have to throw in the towel because God has his hand upon us. He knows about us. He wasn't shocked when Peter even denied him. He wasn't like, I thought you were an impressive guy. I thought, when I said to the Father, I found such an impressive guy. You know, I found this Peter. He's, he's amazing. No, no. He already knew Peter's weakness. And he, he kind of calculated that in. And he brought him right through into what he had for him. And Peter standing with the eleven. It's not Peter standing at the back saying, I've lost it, I've blown it. James, go for it, James. Thank you for mercy, Lord, for mercy. No, no. Peter's back where he was. He's the spokesman. He's totally restored to what God wanted him to be. And God, God had written in the factor of his vulnerability and restored him thoroughly to do the work God had given him to do. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you. You want to wash our feet, Lord. You want to refresh us. Lord, I ask you, please, would you bless and refresh everyone here this morning. We might serve your people better with confidence, we may come with faith, give us courage in difficult seasons, Father, we pray. Let us win through because you're triumphant, Jesus. You're the enthroned one. And we thank you that we are in touch with you and we can enjoy that sufficiency. I hear you say into our hearts, our sufficiency is of God who's made us sufficient. We just trust you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.